This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast, coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh, and with me today is my co-host, Pastor Brandon Starnes. We want to welcome you here today as we go to our second episode, and we're going to be talking today about a life of rejoicing. Now, Pastor, I want us to think about here someone someone in the Bible. We know there's a lot of different people that we read about in the Bible, but let's talk about someone today who's been through a lot, um, but yet he lived a life of rejoicing. Which which Bible character could we pick for that? Well, I think the life of Paul is an exemplary one to consider. The Scriptures has so much as it pertains to his life chronicled, you know, from the missionary journeys, even really down to the very end of his life, recorded at the end of the book of Acts. And you see here, even a salvation testimony, all contained within the canon of Scripture. And I think that gives you a lot to look at and and, uh, to perceive a life of rejoicing. Tell us a little bit about how Paul began this life of rejoicing. Well, it didn't start out that way. Right. (laughs) If anything, you know, you go over to Acts chapter 8 and 9. In chapter 7, you have um, the deacon there. Over in Acts chapter 7, you have there the record of the message that Stephen preached. And particularly as it pertained around that message, it brought great consternation among some of the Jews. At the end of chapter 7, he is stoned. He's killed for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very next passage we find, it's said of Paul that he was consenting unto his death. So he was standing there. Yes. Absolutely okay with everything that was Watching going on. an innocent man gruesomely die. From there, a few verses later in chapter 8, we're told that Saul, formerly Paul's former name, sure. that Saul is making havoc of the church. He's entering into every house, hauling men or hailing men and women and committing them to prison. There in chapter number 9, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He's seeking to go to Damascus and get letters, and there persecutes the saints that are in Damascus. But on that road, he had a divine encounter. So really, as we find Saul right off the bat, Christianity, the Lord, things to do with these Christians is really not causing any joy in his life. Not not at all. Uh, He was a religionist. There might be a point in that that joy never comes through religion. That's true. Many folks might think that it does. In particularly, at this divine encounter, uh, he comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and there's a transformation that occurs in his life. What's that transformation? And from that point on, you see a man that is exhibiting, um, we would call it the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. A complete transformation. Ah, there is, and joy was part of that transformation. Because as we know about Paul, he went from that terrible beginning, and we then find him ministering to the churches. His whole life is dedicated to the ministry of the Lord. Yeah. In Romans chapter 1, Paul's going to mention three things in the introductory verse about himself. He's going to say, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God. You know what's interesting about all of us? You know, we think about, you know, Oh, we're free people, or people. Someone would say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm completely free. But what's interesting is that no man is truly free. He serves something or somebody. The question is really, what are you going to choose? What servant are you going to choose to serve? And that's so important because that first element that Paul describes by inspiration about himself—he's a servant of Jesus Christ. 
Right. The, who was he a servant to before? That, that's the great question there. He, had, he was zealous. Sure. He was religious. Absolutely. But he was lost. And the unique thing that happens, and it's conveyed in Romans chapter 1, he is very clear who he's serving. Um, when you deal with this word servant, it can be voluntary, involuntary. I, I believe there's a choice there, much like the choice that was made in the book of Leviticus with those bond servants. He made a choice, an act of his will to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a great and yet unique emphasis there. He wasn't just serving anything. It wasn't just serving arbitrarily. He's serving Jesus Christ, the one he was formerly persecuting. And you can have no better master. I mean, think about the number of times in the epistles, or really in the gospels, uh, where Jesus Christ is referred to something that is prefaced by the word good. For instance, yes, the good shepherd. There in John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd, I care for my sheep. Um, in Luke and Mark, where he encounters the rich young ruler, good master, good master. And of course, then in the Gospels where he's referencing your heavenly father, uh, the one that gives good gifts, you could even look at an aspect of there. If you were going to have any other master, would you not want a benevolent master? That's what you find in Jesus Christ. Paul made no qualms at all that his service to God, his service to Jesus Christ, was one of goodness. Put that in a contrast to what he was serving before. Yeah. Be it the world, be it wealth. (laughs) Timothy mentions that. Pierce through with many sorrows. Um, Ultimately, what you're serving in life, as you mentioned in your quote a moment ago, will determine to some point or not whether you have joy. The only way you're going to have joy is serving Jesus Christ. So what's our next our next thing here? We're talking about how he was called to be an apostle. Well, that's the second point. So we've got serving Jesus Christ. The second point we mentioned in the text was he was called to be an apostle. Nothing else in life will quite bring joy to realize that God has a specific leading in your life. And that leading's different for every person. Oh, my goodness, yes. The word called there, we're called to any number of things in the Scriptures. There's a general call of repentance. There's a call to holiness, be holy for I am holy. There's a call to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 to walk worthy of your vocation. Right. Specifically, this is like a vocational calling in a sense. You and I aren't called to be apostles. Right. We don't meet the qualifications there. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a specific leading in this life. You know, so often we speak of the will of God. It's not nebulous. God will and, and, and shall direct the life of the saints who are steadfastly focused on him. Uh, you can have joy in the vocation that God's placed you in, whether you're a butcher or a baker or our candlestick maker. You can have that. I think about our verse, um, Proverbs 3, is it 5 and 6? Yes. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. What a marvelous thing to know that what I'm doing in this life. Uh, because surely uh, good works... Uh, which might be in a later podcast that we do, but good works is a benevolent thing to engage in. It's something that God has commanded that we engage in. Yes. The praises to God, my my life's vocation at the end of our life on our epitaph of our tombstone to say, a joyful, fill in the blank, carpenter, electrician, pastor. That can produce joy because we realize that we are in the way that God has led us. And the third aspect that we mentioned in our verse was, of course... He was separated unto something. He's separated into the gospel. That word separating is a marvelous word. It has the idea of horizon or boundaries. 
You know, if you've ever played any kind of sports, there's always what's inbounds and what's out of bounds. Out of bounds. You know, for baseball, it's your foul poles. Uh, you can hit a beautiful shot, but if it goes to the left or right of the respective foul poles, doesn't count. No matter how good it looks, right. it's got to be with inbounds. As it came to his life, his purpose was directed towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful consideration there. You talk about a man that had a life of joy. Paul wasn't always uh, in his ministry in a place that was as fruitful as other places he was. Sure. And we find he wasn't always in places that were comfortable as others. Oh, my goodness. I think that's how he could be uh, rejoicing in prison. Why, why not? Why couldn't you be rejoicing? He's not behind a pulpit. Right. He's not at the place where he's able to teach and preach the word of God, but that does not interrupt at all his joy. He realizes that part of his being in prison, Philippians chapter 1, was directly because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, think about this example. We have this account where, is it Paul and Silas mm-hmm. are in prison and they're singing? You usually don't sing if you're not rejoicing. Not at all. You know, as you look at Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas or whoever, they they were led by the Spirit of God and recognized that the greatest purpose that they could possibly have was to tell others of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Going back to that, that general concept of being separated into the gospel, it reminds me that not only was there things that were restricted, meaning he couldn't engage in. Right. Sometimes... Uh, we veer into areas that God has placed for a child of God to be out of bounds. Be that in matters of morality, and be that in matters of our thought life, etc. When I veer out of bounds, my joy is going to veer as well. I think of our priorities as well. If we're thinking That's about point. being separate to the gospel, what are we prioritizing in our life? Our, our walk with God, or you know, or are we prioritizing our own desires? We, you know, if we're gonna, are we gonna serve self? Or are we going to be actively serving the Lord? Well, that's the case in point that every child of God is going to have to come to the place and ask that very question in their life. Uh, Paul made, made great focus that the gospel of Jesus Christ was going to be the important directive in his life. But another issue that we often have in regards to what our pursuits are is an expectation. Sure, yeah. Dealing with expectations in the Christian life are marvelous. Here's a wonderful thing. When I am laboring for God... I can only really be just faithful. I can be negligent, but at my greatest, I can just be faithful. It's a spiritual engagement. God's only pleased with those things that he does. So I might look at my circumstances and say, hey, if my health was better, I could do more. I can do more. And because my health isn't better, therefore, I have no joy. Right. And then all of a sudden, circumstances dictate. Yep. It becomes a happenstance, really. But the focus is whether I'm in joy or whether I'm in prison or in the pulpit, I have this joy. Why? Because my expectation is from the Lord. Right. I'm, I'm to be faithful. And where he's placed me at in life, I'm going to bloom. I think of another thing there. Paul talked about that thorn in the flesh. We don't exactly know what it is, but he had something that was a thorn in his side, you know, irritation, something that was jabbing at him. And, you know, he asked the Lord to remove it. The Lord decided that that wasn't in his will to do so, and you still have Paul. He doesn't he doesn't end his ministry because he had that thorn yeah. in the flesh. We spend so much time in life making dreams and plans, and I am for dreams and plans. They're good things, but not really making the consideration 
of a life intentionally purposed to please God. Letting God dictate whether my dreams or plans are, in fact, his calling and leading in my life. Paul, at the early one, we were talking about his salvation. He has all manner of things that could be chalked up as successful. For instance, in Philippians chapter 3, he speaks about the fact that he circumcised on the eighth day. It was a rite of the Old Testament Jews signifying their belonging to the nation of Israel and subsequent inheritors of the covenant to Abraham. He, he mentions of the fact that he was a Benjamite. There was a level of pride in that. That was the tribe that was almost eradicated but preserved and become the first king. There was a whole host of them that he was trained as a Hebrew of the Hebrew and as concerning the law of Pharisees. And yet in verse number 7 in Philippians he makes this statement, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He made a measurement that the pursuit and focus of the things of God and the will of God were more important than his personal priorities. Wow, isn't that a good lesson for us to learn? That's what gave him joy. That's great. That brings us to the verse of the day. Our verse of the day is coming from Romans, and we have Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Paul writing here, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Expectation. So we want to challenge you today to continue rejoicing in the word. Until next time, thank you for listening.